Well, Merry Christmas again, everybody. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for gathering here this afternoon, this evening in the frozen tundra we call Altamont Springs, Florida. Um, really great to have you here. If you're joining us for Crosspoint at home as well for Christmas Eve at home, thanks for gathering. Um, if you're somebody that's new to Crosspoint, it's just, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Jamie. It's my privilege and joy to be one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. And I get the great privilege of opening up the scriptures with you all this evening. Uh, that video that you just saw is part of this Advent series that we've been looking at over the past several weeks, taken from this line in the, the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and this line that there's a bright hope for tomorrow. All right. And so we want to explore, I want to explore that theme for a few minutes together this afternoon. And ask a question, all right, do you and I, do you actually believe that there is a bright hope for tomorrow? And maybe you feel an expectation of like, you know what, I think the answer is yes, right? Are we supposed to say that in church, right? Like maybe that's the pressure uh, that you feel. But let's be honest for a moment and ask ourselves in the midst of the pain and the heartache and the things that you've brought in here that people are aware of, and then those Parts of your life and your heart that are kind of buried, maybe just kind of deep within that you're like, I don't even know if I've fully come to grips with like what I'm feeling or what I'm processing, let alone sharing that with anybody else. I think it can be a real struggle if we're honest to actually believe that there's a bright hope for tomorrow. And how does what we're doing here in these few moments as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the arrival of the God man? I mean, how amazing is that? to be astonished by the incarnation that God took on flesh and blood and he literally moved into the neighborhood, that he came to dwell with his people. It's an astounding story. And what does that story have to do with you and I having a bright hope for tomorrow, especially in times when we're wondering, man, we feel that sort of doubt, we feel we've got those questions. Do I actually really believe I might believe that there's a bright hope for other people. Their lives seem to be clicking along and doing okay, but you might be thinking, hey, I don't, you know, you don't know my pain. You don't know the things that I'm going through. And I will be honest, I don't know all the particulars of your story. But I want to look at a story that we find in the scriptures, which might be a very familiar story to, to many of you. And it's the story of the angel's announcement to this young girl named Mary. And it's a story, I think, that'll help us grapple with this idea of, can we actually believe that there's a bright hope for tomorrow? Or do we just have to give in to cynicism and despair? Like, where do we actually, where does it actually leave us? And so I want to invite you to follow along. I'm going to read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Um, the most impactful thing we will do tonight is read the Word of God, all right? And so I would love for you to have that in front of you. One of the things that you can do is go to thisiscp.church, and in the lower right corner of your screen, if you get that out on your, on your phone, you go there, um, you will see this little next steps, this little blue icon. Click that, and there's a spot for sermon notes. There's also a QR code on uh, the pews. You can scan that. It'll take you to where you need to be. The text will be there, as well as anything I put up on the slides here over the next few minutes. But hear now God's word out of Luke 1, 26 to 38. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, 
and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In verse 34, Mary responds this way. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am, your, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So friends, for a few minutes, if we can engage in this question, what does belief actually look like? What does it look like to believe that there actually is a bright hope for tomorrow because we are part of this story of God's redeeming work? And if you're here tonight or this afternoon and you're struggling with it, you're like, I don't know if I believe any of this, or maybe I did at one time, but man, it's a real struggle right now. I hope you will be encouraged because this passage gives us insight of what to do with our doubts. And in fact, we will find a God who welcomes our doubts and our questions. And if you're like, no, I'm good. I don't have any doubts. All right, like, yay for you. All right, but for the rest of us, right, there do, there do come these seasons. There's these seasons where we wrestle. And I'm, I would put it before you, if you're not in one right now, it probably will come at some point. Suffering will come. Hardship will come. Unexpected news will come. Circumstances will not go the way that you want, that I would desire as well. And so what do we do? And so as we get into this, did you hear these promises? Like he says, behold, the angel shows up. You will conceive in your womb, bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Like there's this long expected Messiah, one that would come from the family line of David. And this angel's like, he's about ready to come on the scene. And guess what? You, teenage girl Mary, you're going to be the mother, right? And he says, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, not just for a little while, not temporarily, but forever. His kingdom, there will be no end. Tapping into, we were all created to be in the presence of God, to live under his kind and generous and good rule and reign. And the angel comes and shows up and says, it's happening. The moment you've been waiting for, like, it's here. Like kids that are in here tonight, right? You have an anticipation about like what tomorrow brings and the gifts and all of that. Like the anticipation that people then felt for the Messiah was even more heightened than what we even feel here gathered tonight. So I want to look at three things, hopefully quickly. I don't know how quickly. We'll see. But, you know, I'll try. All right. But uh, the first is, as we think about belief, there's this grace that we're given that we see for belief. We see a God who moves into the mess. He moves towards the broken. He moves towards the marginalized. If you're here tonight and you're feeling like, I don't know if I'm worthy of love. I don't know if God can work in and through me. You don't know my story. I hope you'll be encouraged in this. I mean, look again at this, the language that we hear. In verse 26, it says this. In the sixth month, the angel shows up, sent from God. God is on a, God is sending God is ascending God. He's going to send his son. Before that happens, he sends an angel to say, there's this rescue mission. 
to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Friends, it was believed that there was nothing good that can come from Nazareth. Nazareth was not the place of influence. It was not something that you, you know, you'd put in your LinkedIn profile, right? It's not something to be proud of. Nobody was looking like, ooh, you're from Nazareth. Man, tell me what it was like growing up there. It was something people would be like, oh, where are you from? <clears throat> Nazareth, um, right? Like you just didn't want that to be known. And what is it telling us? Oh, that's where this story is going to take place. And it tells us to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. So it means she's young, probably between 13 and 15 years old. She's betrothed, meaning she's engaged to this man, Joseph, but they're not married yet. And as we see Mary's question in just a few verses later, she's got some legitimate questions like, how's this going to play out? But just feel the impact of this. How unexpected that God would show up in a place like Nazareth to a unwed teenage girl and say, I'm going to showcase my strength and my power. I want there to be a bright hope for your future, and it's going to come in the most unexpected of ways. And then verse 28, the angel pronounces these words, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Friends, in the scriptures, it's helpful at times to pay attention when a significant, when there's a word that shows up, like where did it show up the first time? And the first time this idea of favor, this idea of grace, this unmerited favor of God shows up as in Genesis 6, when it tells us that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Not because Noah was awesome, not because Noah was clearly better than all of his neighbors, and God was like, I'm picking you, your varsity, all right, um, and I'm going to put you on the boat, I'm going to, you know, everybody else is going to drown. I mean, like, that's not how God is viewing this. He's like, I pick the nobodies and make them somebody. And he's saying to Mary, it's not because she's amazing and awesome and has her life fully put together, right? He's just saying, I am bestowing my favor upon you. This is how our God works. And he's still in the business of doing that. If you're here tonight as a follower of Jesus, the favor of God is resting on you right here, right now. You might have amazing Christmas plans for tomorrow. And they all maybe, what if they all just go terribly, right? Like it doesn't change the fact that you have the favor of God upon you. So how should we think about these matters? One of my favorite Christmas songs, uh, Do Not Worry, I Will Not uh, Attempt to Sing It, uh, but one of my favorite ones is Joy to the World. And there's this really interesting line. I imagine most of you are familiar with this. Joy to the world. And then there's this, it's this interesting tense, right? It seems like it's written poorly, like the Lord is come. Well, I thought it would be like in the past tense, like the Lord has come, right? Or the Lord is coming, but like the Lord is come. And it's, it's this idea here of this, yes, he has come, and then this ongoing work that God continues to show up and pronounce his favor over his people. And this says, let earth receive her king. And then this line, let every heart prepare him room. As we think about belief, ask yourself, what has that been like? Has there been room for Jesus in your life over this past year? And as you think about 2023, and all the hopes and dreams, like, where does Jesus fit in in that? 
Is he the sovereign king of which everything in your life is surrendered to? Or is he just sort of an add-on? And what about the fear? What about the things maybe we're just struggling to believe when it's hard to actually have hope? This, this idea of let every heart prepare him room speaks to the reality, listen, that it's not, the pressure's off, friends. It's not for you to go get it prepared so that God might look at you and say, okay, I'll choose you. You've got your room tidied up good enough, and now I can actually move in. It's that God comes for the lowly, the marginalized. He's coming for Mary. He's coming for you. He's coming for me. Hear these words from Charles Spurgeon commenting on this particular idea of the inn, there being no room in the inn. And imagine this dialogue. Perhaps you can relate to this. Well, says one, I have room for him, but I am not worthy that he should come to me. Ah, I did not ask about worthiness. Have you room for him? Oh, says one, I have an empty void the world can never fill. Ah, I see you have room for him. Oh, but the room I have in my heart is so base. Well, so was the manger. But it is so despicable. Well, so was the manger a thing to be despised. Ah, but my heart, it is so foul. So perhaps the manger may have been. Oh, but I feel it is a place not at all fit for Christ. Nor was the manger a place fit for him. And yet there was he laid. Oh, but I have been such a sinner. I feel as if my heart had been a den of beasts and devils. Do you hear that inner dialogue, that tension of like, I don't know that I'm worthy to receive the favor of God. Good news, you're not. No one is. It's the idea of favor. It's unmerited that God comes and he shows up and he shows up with his love and affection for us in his son. Spurgeon wraps it up this way. It says, well, the manger had been a place where the beasts had fed. Have you room for him? Never mind what the past has been. He can forget and forgive. It mattereth not what even the present state may be if thou mournest it, if thou hast but room for Christ, he will come and be thy guest. If we're going to have a bright hope for tomorrow, it's this simple acknowledgement. My heart is foul. The room is not put together. It's an acknowledgement of what is true. And God says, okay, you see your need. And so friends, if we're going to have a bright hope for tomorrow, let's remember that God moves towards the lowly God moves towards the broken, those that understand that on their own, they're separated from him. And so as we think about then this belief, it starts with recognizing that he moves towards us in grace. But I see something here in Mary. There's this progression of her belief. And in particular, if you're somebody here tonight and you're wrestling with with doubt, you're wrestling with, can I actually believe this? Again, I want to communicate, I believe the pressure is off. Like, I think what we see here in Mary is a progression. Now, you probably have heard people tell their story about coming to faith in Christ, and, and, and the way that it's described is like, you know, one day I was running in this certain direction, and I didn't believe, and I was living in a you know, way, I was breaking as many commandments as possible, and then God got a hold of me, and just like that, my life turned completely around. And those stories exist, like, see the Apostle Paul, Right? And yet, there's also a way that God works where it feels like it's bit by bit by bit. He knows the moment of your salvation. But let me encourage you. You might not have that if you're like, I don't know the day and the hour, and I forgot to write it in my Bible, and now I'm all freaked out about that. It doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter. 
He knows. And there's this progression that he's inviting us into. Maybe a way to think about it is this. Some of you have light switch sort of stories. The room was dark. Light was, the light was, you know, the, 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 it was switched. The flip, I can't talk. What am I saying, right? The light switch was flipped. There we go. All right. And boom, all the light comes on. You're like, I can finally see. And that's amazing. Praise God that he works in those ways. But for some, it feels more like this dimmer dial, right? And it's like you're cranking it bit by bit, and it's moving. And there's this moment of like, okay, I'm not in complete darkness. I, I, I think I can see a little bit. Oh, yeah, I'm starting to see a bit more what's in the room. And there's this moment where it's like, is the room dark or is it light? Right? And it's hard to pinpoint and know, but eventually you just know, I can see. And when the, that exact moment took place, it's hard to pinpoint. But trust this, like God actually knows. And he's inviting us as his people, like we'll see here with Mary, this progression of faith. So look with me at this, all right? It starts out back in verse 29. It says this, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. If you read this account and just think, man, I wish I could be like Mary. She just automatically believes. That's not what's happening here. It says that she is actually greatly troubled. She had to be wondering, like, what is happening right now? Who is this angel? What's this angelic being? Was it supposed to be for me? Like, what is going on? And it says she tried to discern. Hear these words from Tim Keller. He's got this wonderful section dealing with this in his book, Hidden Christmas, about this progression of faith that we find in Mary's life. It says this, No one, however, can accuse Mary here of anything like blind faith. She does not say, How wonderful! An angel is speaking to me. No, the text tells us Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The Greek word means to make an audit. Like there's an investigation into the words. It means she's taking it seriously. She's wondering, she's considering, she's pondering. It is an accounting word, and it means to be adding things up, weighing and pondering, to be intensely rational. Of course she is troubled, and as any normal person would be with such an apparition, she is asking, am I really seeing an angel? Is this a hallucination? What is going on here? She does not immediately accept the message, but instead asks, how can this be? Mary shows us that responding in faith is a whole person experience that includes the intellect. It's not exclusive to that, but it includes it. And so be encouraged. If that's how you're wired and you've got questions about Christmas and like, are we, are we for real? Is this what we're really celebrating? Like, there's an invitation here in the Bible to see even how Mary wrestles with this. And then it continues, and Mary asks a very natural follow-up question. Okay, Mr. Angel, all right? She said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God as if that clears it up, right? She asked this very pragmatic question, right? And yes, there's an answer there, but it would still, I have to imagine for her, it's like, okay, really? Like, that seems still a little fuzzy. But it's just the next click on the dial. It's just this little bit more information. There's a further wooing and invitation. Will you trust? And she's not bringing questions with arrogance, but she is humbly seeking 
And then I love this. There's this detail. And we don't have time to, to look at what follows this account, but there's one detail that's given in verse 36. The angel says, oh, and by the way, your relative, Elizabeth, who is advanced in years, she's old, she's, been, she's barren, all right? She actually, it says, in her old age has also conceived a son and is in the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Friends, belief is both an individual endeavor, but there also is a communal aspect to this. Not because you can latch on to the faith of somebody else and say, well, they believe in Jesus, so I guess I'm good. No, there, there is a personal account for sure. Do you trust Jesus? Have you surrendered to Jesus? Have I surrendered to Jesus? But know this, how gracious is God to say, hey, there's this amazing, miraculous thing that's taken place in this relative's life of yours. Have you had those moments where you're like, man, I'm really struggling to believe, and there's a friend that you're maybe seeing something happen in their life, or they share a story, or they remind you of some past providence and way that God worked in your own life that maybe you forgot? How does that happen? Not by sitting alone, wallowing in self-pity, right? It happens in community. It happens being part of the church, having fellow believers share in this story together. That's part of what belief is going to look like. To think, you know what? I'm going to figure this out independent of the church is never the way it unfolds. And then lastly, Mary gets the place of surrender in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So do you see this progression? There are questions. There's some confusion. There's a willingness to engage. She's not combative with it. She's seeking truth. There's, there's a posture of humility. And yet there is very much a lostness. There's a confusion. There are legitimate questions. If that's you here this evening, know that God welcomes your questions. He welcomes your doubts. He welcomes your frustrations. He welcomes your church pain and church hurt. He welcomes all of it and says, come, I want to I meet you in that place. And so if we look, we're going to look at one last section here. Mary's response where it says, I am the servant of the Lord. How do we ultimately get to that spot? Because here's the pretty incredible thing. Mary actually gets there without knowing as much of the story as every single one of us gathered here tonight. Like God in his kindness has allowed us to live on the other side of the manger and the cross and of the empty tomb and to actually have a fuller picture of the story. And to be able to engage and say, okay, if Mary can trust this God, what resources do you and I actually have that are more so than Mary? You might look at this and be like, well, I've never had the angel show up. Yeah, but we live on the other side of the manger and the cross and the empty tomb. Like, it's so much better for us. And so there's these resources here. One of the best books I've read over the last couple of years by the author Tish Harrison Warren, and it's a book called Prayer in the Night that I would commend to you. And in it, she tells the story. It's about suffering. It's about unexpected pain. It's about 
It's about the places where like, what does it look like to trust God when it is so, so hard to do that? And she tells the story of some really good friends of hers that were getting ready. They're literally at the hospital and their newborn, their, their, their infant is on this table, all right, and on this like this bed and basically getting ready to be wheeled into surgery. Like imagine that. Imagine the fear, the insecurities, the, the frustration perhaps at God of like, why is this happening to me? All legitimate questions and emotions. And her friend tells the story as her and her husband, they're, they're standing there and they're getting ready to see their beloved child wheeled back into this operating room, not knowing how it will turn out. There's this quote that her friend, her friend turns to her husband and she says this, we have to decide right now whether or not God is good. Because if we wait to determine that by the results of this surgery, we will always keep God on trial. What insightful, profound words. So there's space for questions and doubt, absolutely. But there's also a calling that we have to press into. And what we see in the scriptures here is an invitation not to determine things based on the circumstances of life. Because friends, you know, they're all over the place. As you reflect back on 2022, I'm sure there's some amazing moments and I'm sure there's some things you're like, if that happens in 2023, I'm done. Like, I do not want that to happen again. It's just the reality of life. So what resources do we have? What can anchor us when circumstances are changing? When even our moments of joy and happiness and exultation just are fleeting like a vapor, like we're grasping for it, and it's just seemingly something we can't hold on to. Well, Warren continues, Tish Warren continues in this book. Let me read to you this next little section. Following on the heels of this story, she says it this way. We cannot hold together human vulnerability and God's trustworthiness at the same time unless there is some certain sign that God loves us, that he isn't an absentee landlord or worse, a monster. But we cannot divine such a sign from the circumstances of our lives or of the world. We have to decide what we believe about about who God is and what he is like. We have to decide if anyone keeps watch with us it is unavoidably, even irritatingly, a decision based on doctrine. The first principles we return to again and again, the story we define our lives by. Mary had a portion of the story to define her life by, but friends, we have more. And so I want to ask you, as we wrap up here, what story is defining your life? Do you believe that there is a God who's bringing redemption and reconciliation that one day Jesus is going to return? He's going to split the sky. He's going to come back and he's going to set everything right. And he's going to invite us to be with him forever. He will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more brokenness of the created world in order. Everything beautiful and harmonious. Like that's the story you're invited into. And Mary lived at a time where she knew, yes, there's a God that made some promises, but the Messiah had not yet come. What story is defining your life? And what is so interesting is Luke is telling this story. If we were to jump towards the end of Jesus's life, no longer a newborn baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, but a grown man 
knowing that in a few short hours, he will literally give everything. The clothes on his back will be stripped off of him. The flesh on his back will be ripped out. His hands and his feet will be pierced as he's put on a cross. And he knows this is coming. And what is such a beautiful tie-in where Mary says these words here in this, this account where she says, let it be according to your word. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we have Jesus, this grown man, saying something very similar. He's wrestling. He's like, is this how it has to be? You want a picture of belief? Look at what Jesus does here. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He means, I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to have to go to the cross. Please remove this from me if there can be any way. And then here's what he says. Does it sound familiar? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Friends, we have a bright hope for tomorrow because of the assurance of what Jesus has done. That we know that this baby wrapped in swaddling claws lived a sinless life, went to a cross, died the death that you and I deserve. And then three days later, he rose again, conquering Satan, sin, and death. That's the story we're part of. And so when circumstances change and we doubt and we wrestle, that's what we have to come back to. This story here, this progression of belief, the resources that you and I have at our disposal are so much greater and fuller than even what Mary knew. She knew part of the story. And friends, we get to be here tonight celebrating not only the birth of Jesus, but his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his promised return. That is the story you're invited into. And so the next time you doubt that God is good and those moments will happen, you take that to God. He's big enough to handle the the pain and the hurt and the frustration. But then... Don't just see a baby in a manger. See the King of kings and Lord of lords with his arms spread on a Roman cross, dying the death that you and I deserved, dealing with the wrath that should have been poured out on you and me and instead was put on him. That's the story. That's what gives us a bright hope for tomorrow. And so let me pray for us. I want to encourage you as we think through, as we're going to respond in song as well, but take some time right now. What is it? that you need to bring to the Lord. To be honest, confess. That can be confessing sin, certainly. Also can be confessing like, I'm frustrated with this, Lord. I don't know why this is happening. Be honest. But let's celebrate what we do know of this story. Let's celebrate the reality of what Christ has done. And let's be a church that struggles together. We will not get this right. We will not do this perfectly. But to be committed to the cause of Christ, to find such joy there as we follow him. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace, your kindness, allowing us to even be in this space tonight. What a glorious opportunity to be reminded of this story, that none of us have faith or belief because of us figuring it out. You and your kindness have taken dead hearts and made them alive, that even faith is a gift from you. And so meet us in our places of doubt and of confusion. Remind us again and again of what is most true in this world, what is most true about us through the finished work of Jesus. And God, I pray as we continue in this service through worship, through song, through participation and communion, 
God, I pray that you would be magnified, that your name would become more famous, that you would get your glory, and that we as your people would experience just a deep and abiding joy. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.